Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Everybody knows that true crime can be a real buzz killer. So why not pair it with a nice glass of wine? Join us, Macy and Nicole, the hosts of Buzzkillers, a true crime podcast, as we drink our way through new bottles of wine every week while navigating true crime cases, conspiracy theories, and even some spooky haunts. The deep dives are kept light with banter and personal tales, and even the occasional boozy hiccup. Listeners are encouraged to grab a drink of any kind and tune in every Sunday as we tell the tales of the wicked that plague this world. Buzzkillers can be streamed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and anywhere else you like to listen. Check out our website, www.buzzkillerspodcast.com, for more information. It's a cold winter evening, and a family is huddled by a roaring fire, focused on the storyteller, a man in his forties, with hair slightly gray at the temples and a pipe clasped between his teeth. Perhaps he's a father figure. He gestures wildly, the firelight causing his shadow to dance on the ceiling, as he regales the group with ghostly stories of dread. The onset of night comes quickly this time of year, draping the world in shadows, frosting it with ice and snow, and making it something slightly more menacing. In the Victorian era, the scene I described was quite common. Family members would take turns telling their most harrowed tales, stories of specters, the ghosts of the past. It was how they entertained themselves, but it was also a way to keep the past alive. Around this time, books are a luxury for those affluent members of society, Though in the 1830s and 40s, serialized prose fiction in one or two penny weekly releases made reading and written content more accessible. People during this time period often knew how to read, but not how to write. So while lords and ladies sat primly with their texts on finely crafted furniture close to or on the upper crust, those working class people who wished to enjoy a good book often couldn't afford it. However, this didn't stop them. They created their own stories and relayed them to family and friends in their modest parlors, some individuals seated and others squeezed in wherever there was room on the floor. It was a staple during the winter season. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Identity Podcast on the Podmoth Media Network. 
your foray into the weird, wonky, and sometimes downright spooky. Even today, ghost stories delight and terrify, titillate and beguile, and in all honesty, I've never met another living person who hasn't been told one. I've personally spent many hours around a roaring fire a la Midnight Society, listening to my friends talk of ghosts, ghouls, and things that go bump in the night. I've even told a few myself and found satisfaction in the fear that they conjured in my listener. Props to those storytellers who kept me up at night, and hats off to the folklore that informed some of those tales. Truly, listening to a scary story as the wind howls and the snow swirls outside, with only your fellow storytellers to hold your hand and keep your imagination grounded in some sort of sane existence, is the best way to consume a ghost story. The practice of storytelling, and the equally popular practice of scaring our friends out of their wits, is not new. It's been practiced for a long time, but have you ever wondered why the Victorians were so interested in ghost stories? If you have, and you're itching to know the answer, on with the show. From The Guardian, quote, It was the Victorian era, of course, when ghosts proliferated most obviously in fiction, as well as on stage, in photographs, and in drawing room seances. Before the start of Victoria's reign in 1837, the health of the genre was thought to be failing. But by 1887, when Mary Louise Molesworth wrote The Story of the Rippling Train, her character Mrs. Snowden was bemoaning ghost prevalence. Quote, one hears nothing else nowadays, end quote, she said. And in the pages that followed, she would hear yet another about the phantom of a beautiful woman who had appeared after being terribly burnt in a fire. What had raised all of these apparitions from the dead? The most straightforward explanation is the rise of the periodical press, says Ruth Robbins, professor of English literature at Leeds Metropolitan University. Ghost stories had traditionally been in oral form, but publishers suddenly needed a mass of content, and ghost stories fitted the bill. Short, cheap, generic, repetitive, able to cut quite easily to length, end quote. People were absolutely hooked. If they could afford to do so, they purchased books of ghost stories from booksellers. If they couldn't, they found serialized versions for a few cents. And if they couldn't afford that, they attended public readings, carrying the stories home with them to be shared with their families. In 1843, the same year that the first Christmas card was sent, Charles Dickens released A Christmas Carol, a novel that would cement itself into the Christmas season, and tickle many a Victorian fancy. He would later publish a periodical called All the Year Round, in which he would publish the likes of Wilkie Collins and Elizabeth Gaskell, and generally contain several ghostly tales. If you'd like to peruse some issues, I've dropped a link to a list in the show notes. While we're on the subject of spectral sightings, we also need to address the first Industrial Revolution and how this change affected people at the time. City centers became hubs of industry, and many people moved from the outskirts into these hubs. Consider what a huge change that was. Factories for winding yarn, for example, installed machines that could turn out the work at record-breaking speed. There were areas of agriculture and handicrafts that would never be the same again. 
Of course, some people experienced an uncomfortable shift in this new world, and it wasn't all sunshine and roses. But that's not really what I'm driving toward. Rather, I'll take a side street that will eventually bring us to our final destination. Many of the people who moved from the outskirts and into the cities found work as servants in stately homes belonging to those who fell under the new middle class created by the move and or the upper crusters I spoke of earlier. Why don't we just call them crusties? It has a nice ring to it. So the crusties had beautiful homes that required upkeep, and of course they weren't going to do that themselves. Enter maids, butlers, gardeners, cooks, you name it. These positions needed filling. I think it goes without saying that some of these servants had never seen the inside of homes this grand, almost maze-like to them. And with anything new, you guessed it, comes fear. Welcome to the Ugly Radio on the Podmoth Network, a lo-fi sci-fi audio theater anthology series made for late nights and strong drinks. Join us monthly as we broadcast a pirate signal across time and space, featuring stories, songs, and frequencies from a rotating list of voice actors, writers, storytellers, and musicians. If you're looking for high-quality science fiction, skin-crawling horror, and other genre fiction, listen to The Ugly Radio on the Podmoth Network, now available wherever you get your podcasts. The Ugly Radio. See you in the void. Spirits, whether real or invented, were a genuine concern. In the seemingly cavernous expanse of this new world, a baby's cry echoed endlessly, finding the ear of a butler who thought it sounded like the wail of the disembodied. Maidservants, folding linen and making beds, would think that they saw a shadow shift beyond a doorway or catch a glimpse of a horrifying face in a window. Items falling to the floor would easily be misconstrued as paranormal, and these echoing sounds could be mistaken for footfalls that had no owner. Hidden stairways and doors made the servants practically invisible in these houses, the idea being that servants should be seen and not heard. But near invisibility was even more desirable. It was also unnerving for people who were already experiencing a shock to their system. A random individual popping out when unexpected would make anyone jump. Now, I'm sure you know by now that I'm not going to be the person to say all of these experiences were invented by an overactive imagination. But word of a haunted house, whether it actually is or not, travels quickly. Stories about these locations travel even quicker. And in some cases, these stories were totally and completely made up. Of course, we also have to consider the method for lighting these homes. Gas lamps were all the rage at the time, and carbon monoxide that they would give off could and would cause hallucinations. All of this, the fact that ghost stories were easy to serialize and the rise of paranormal activity and discussion of it, is fairly easy to explain. 
More people had access to the stories, and often these stories were relatable to the listener. Tales of haunted houses, strange noises, specters, all of which were things that they themselves had experienced in some way. Ghost stories were also a way to add excitement and intrigue to the monotony of life because, let's be honest, the effort of cleaning those huge houses lacked excitement. We should also address a couple of other ways that this excitement manifested. First, let's travel to New York in 1848, when the Fox sisters claimed to experience a tapping or rapping noise that could seemingly communicate with them. They said it was the spirit of a peddler who had died in the basement of a home, but they eventually came to call him Mr. Splitfoot, likely referencing the devil. Around this time, spiritualism became popular and communicating with the dead became more and more common. The Fox sisters traveled all over the country to show the world their newfound evidence of life after demise. But even after the sisters were exposed as frauds, cracking their toe knuckles under their long dresses to create the rapping sounds, spiritualism remained popular and the fascination with spirits and the nether realms continued. Side note, I wonder if the creation of the telegraph in 1844, predating this fraud by only four years, had something to do with the rise of, quote, paranormal knockings. Seances, where the medium communicating with the other world would be tied to a chair while the room, cast in darkness, would seemingly come alive, were a dime a dozen. And many, even Thomas Edison and Alexander Graham Bell, were believers. They even tried to create devices for communicating with the other side, believing that this was the next evolution of their respective inventions. While tied to the chair, the medium would conjure different spirits to speak for them and expel ectoplasm, most often cheesecloth, from various orifices. There were, of course, people who believed that spiritualism was fake, one of the most vocal being Harry Houdini. Houdini, a prominent magician, made his money by creating illusions for his shows. And he said that he had more respect for a highway robber than a medium because at least the robber has the courage to prey on his victims in the open. Houdini would likely roll around in his grave if he knew that the date of his death, October 31st, is celebrated by many believers in the paranormal by holding a seance. Even today, there are individuals who claim that they can contact the dead can bring them into the room and ask them to manipulate their surroundings. Whether or not these people can actually do so requires further investigation into their practices. The second and final topic that we should touch on is spirit photography and how tales of ghosts and other paranormal happenings made that practice popular. Photography was a luxury for many people given its cost, and in many instances, the first photo you had of a person might very well be of them as a corpse. Postmortem photography, otherwise known by the easily unnerved as creepy photos of dead people, provided a service to those left grieving a loss. It would also come to tie itself in with the spiritualist movement. You see, this belief that loved ones could communicate with living from beyond the veil was of comfort to those left behind and gave hope that there might be another way to connect with their mother, brother, friend. In March of 1861, a man named William H. Mumler used a plate that had already been exposed as a gag 
and his popularity exploded. This double exposure created a final image that contained two people where there was once only one. The second person, the one from the previously exposed plate, appeared almost see-through, ghostly in appearance. Mumler recognized this cash cow for what it was and set up shop as a spirit photographer. From Getty.edu, quote, Soon accounts of Mumler's self-portrait were embellished with stories of his arm feeling numb. Some stories claimed that he couldn't take more than two or three spirit photographs a day, for connecting with the spirit world was exhausting work. For just shy of two years, Mumler worked as a medium, taking portraits of living folks and capturing the spirits of their lost loved ones, or sometimes lost strangers from beyond the grave. These ghostly renderings became so popular that spiritualists hailed these photographs as scientific evidence of their beliefs. Even Mary Todd Lincoln had her photograph taken by Mumbler, end quote. And his success continued for a little while, until in 1863, a doctor who sat for a photograph recognized the spirit that Mumbler had conjured as someone who was very much still among the living, Mumler was sued and acquitted, but the damage to his name was irreparable. Ghost stories greatly influenced the Victorians and their views on death and aided them in making sense out of their quickly changing world. Consider, for example, that increasingly more and more people could communicate at a distance. I would imagine that seeing this new technology Believing spirit communication was real was not such a far cry for many Victorians. The telegraph allowed people to send messages to faraway places. The initial communication and response heard only in a strange tapping noise to be translated. In much the same way, an individual could hold a seance or use a talking board to communicate with the dead. In some ways, the process is interchangeable. Transmit, translate, interpret. Granted, cheesecloth, as palatable as it might be, is not a necessary tool when sending a telegraph. And thank goodness, because, I mean, let's be honest, no amount of seasoning is going to make that taste good. That's it for now, dear listeners. Thank you for your continued support and interactions on social media. You're greatly appreciated. There will be one more episode after this one, the end of season interview. And then I'll go into hibernation again for a few weeks, until I can get the next season up and running. I wish you all the best, and I look forward to sharing more of the strange, paranormal, and macabre with you in the future. Until then, stay spooky. The Identity Podcast is brought to you by host Janine Mercer and the music was created using GarageBand. Find The Odd Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at IdentityPod, and on Facebook as The Identity Podcast. A transcript of this episode will be available at theidentitypodcast.wordpress.com. Got a paranormal experience to share? Send those along to theidentitypodcast at gmail.com. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment to mash that subscribe button and leave me a five-star review 
Don't forget to tell your friends, family, and co-workers about this podcast. Every little bit helps.